So, hello. Um, we're going to be closing up our series on Live Forgiven tonight. So, have y'all been enjoying it like I have? <laughs> I have been enjoying this so much. And I've, every time, because I'm preparing to share what God has shared with me, I'm learning new things along the way myself, and it's just been wonderful. Um, so, thank you so much for, for coming along with me on my journey. Um, <laughs> so, I appreciate it. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for your loving kindness, for your mercies that are new every morning, Lord God. And Father, we just thank you um, that you be with us tonight as we break open your word to understand it. And you bring understanding to the simple, Lord God. I thank you that you bring light to where there's darkness. I thank you that you feed your people manna from heaven, Lord God. And Father God, I just thank you for a blessing on your word. And I thank you for healing and wholeness when we hear your word, because your word is medicine to all of our flesh. You came to heal the brokenhearted. And we receive your grace today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to open up with our with our cornerstone scripture for this series. is uh, Ephesians 4, verse 32. And it's um, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. So um, also, I want to let you know, we're going to be sharing in communion at the end of the service today. So if you're watching online and you want to participate with us, you can go ahead and get the elements that you have there in the house. If you don't have crackers and juice, get bread and water. Do what you can to participate so that you can receive what God wants you to receive today. Amen. So um, we're going to we're just going to share in that covenant meal. I feel like that's something that God is wants to do to bring a, a completion to the work. So um, God's primary expression of his love towards us is in his forgiveness to us. God showed his love to us by forgiving us in uh, Romans 5, 8 in the Amplified Bible, it says, God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the English Standard, in verse 10, it says, for if we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. So we have laid hold of the reconciliation that he extended to us. He has reconciled us, and then we receive it. We lay hold of it by faith. So it's the same thing when we were talking about in Second Corinthians, where it said that um, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and now we implore you, be reconciled to God. God has embraced you. You, you go hug him back now. So that's what this is. In Romans 5:10, in the message translation, it says, now that we have been set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. It's off the table. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, Think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of this resurrection life. 
Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply simply say in plodding prose. So we're not just going through the motions anymore. We sing. We shout our praises to God through our through Jesus our Messiah. Amen. So now that we are it we're in friendship with God. We know he loves us. We know he's forgiven us. He's holding nothing against us. We can live and enjoy the resurrection life that he has on the inside of us. So, so amen. So just as a recap of what we went over last week, we talked about the new and better covenant that we have based on better promises. Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And that's uh, John 1.29 and 1 John 3.5. Those are the references for that. Jesus is also a better priest than the Levitical priesthood. Um, after the order of Melchizedek, after he made one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. And through that one sacrifice, he secured our eternal redemption and our everlasting righteousness. So the gospel that we declare is a gospel of forgiveness. We let people know that they have been forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So the gospel is not so much of an invitation as it is an announcement. The word gospel is the English, in the English translation of the, of the word, I'm going to see if I can get it right, euangelion. <laughs> euangelion. So it's spelled E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N. Euangelion. There we go. Okay, and that word means news that brings great joy. And that, but the word gospel really wasn't originated in Christianity. It seems like perfect fit for us, but it actually, it was a herald. It was an announcement, and um, it started in the Greco-Roman world. You know, 400 years before Christ, um, there was a it it, re- it referred to a history-making, world-shaping reports of political, military, and societal victories. So it was an announcement of victory. That's what the word gospel is. It's an announcement of victory. Um, so, in like I said, in Greece, when Greece was invaded by Persia, and Greece, you know, conquered, they won the battle, and it wasn't expected that they were going to win, but they went, but they one, they, they, that was the first marathon where they sent evangelists, that's what they were called, to go and herald the good news that Greece had won the war. Okay? So that's what an evangelist is. They, they go and they declare, we won, we won, we won. That's what an evangelist does, that the, that the war has been won. The, um, the, in the United States, um, an example is the Emancipation Proclamation. When when the the slaves were set free, Lincoln, and then they sent heralds throughout to let them know you're free, you're free, you're free, you're free. That's the evangelist, okay? So the proclamation of the gospel um, is this. As the fulfillment of all promises and prophecies, Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God on the earth, thus accomplishing forgiveness of sins through his life, death, and resurrection. He now, He now rules all things as the exalted Messiah. He sends the Holy Spirit as a sign of his reign, empowering his believers who will respond to the announcement with repentance and faith to fulfill their destiny as image bearers of God. 
This proclamation offers the only true hope of transformation and reconciliation. So we proclaim the truth and people's hearts are transformed by the hearing. It's that kerygma. It's the, it's the proclamation of the gospel that has the power to change a heart and to change a life. So, so the declaration of the good news is what brings repentance. We talked a little bit about this last week um, where old covenant repentance was by our choice, we repent and turn away, and, and because we repent, we turn away God's wrath. New covenant repentance is we hear the good news that we're forgiven and our hearts are transformed. So it's more of a fruit of having heard the good news. Repentance of the heart and mind transformation that happens when we believe the gospel. It's not only a decision that we make, it's not about a decision that we make on our own by our own self-will. It's about the free gift of God that comes when we believe the good news instead of what we used to believe. So this happens all the time. It's not just the one time when you first get saved. Repentance happens continually as a believer. As you, like you were saying about the different names of God, we discover a new facet of who he is. We discover a new benefit that he has, a new level of his goodness. And it's like, Wow. And it's like your heart is transformed and you lay hold of his hand. You lay hold of who he is and how he's shown himself to you. And it's and it's a beautiful thing. And as you do that, the dead things that you used to believe about him, if you thought he was a hard taskmaster, you know, anything that he was heavy towards you, that all stuff falls off when you see his kindness and his goodness. It, it gets deeper and deeper. The um, Isaiah 55, I think, is what it is. It says, my I will abundantly pardon my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so his higher thoughts are a more merciful thought. It's a, it's a more tender thought toward us than what we consider toward him or what we consider toward one another. So, so, uh, I think Bill Johnson says he's better than we think. So we have to change the way we think. That's the bottom line. So um, our, the truth about our forgiveness continually frees us from the bondage of condemnation, and then we're able to minister that freedom to others. So uh, the freer you get in yourself and, and the freer, the more forgiven you are, you're able to reach out and share that kindness with other people. It's an overflowing. His Our cup runs over with his kindness. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Jubilee. I know we touched on this a bit uh, when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Um, but our, at the cross, our debt was canceled. Amen. So this was, um, we talked about that in uh, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, And you who were dead in your trespass, trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. At the cross, he was dying, and he declared, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That declaration of forgiveness happened at the cross. And this is found in Luke 22, verses 33 and 34. It says, when... When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided, they cast lots, divided his garments. Okay, So he made an announcement of freedom and forgiveness at the cross. Imagine that at his most painful moment, he's releasing and he's forgiving. 
He's an amazing God. Um, so Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit in Luke 4. When he went into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. He came out in the power of the Spirit, and he came and declared jubilee. So we're going to take a look at that in Luke 4. And starting in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61 is what he's reading. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's proclaim the year of Jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So they were all excited about the announcement of Jubilee. It didn't stay that way. <laughs> but, but they started out happy because the proclamation of Jubilee is good news. Okay, um, Jubilee, just as a recap, um, is listed in Leviticus 25. It is in a natural event, um, and it says ever after seven Sabbaths of years, so after seven, seven times seven years, 49 years, the trumpet will sound in the 50th year on the Day of, of Atonement, okay? So when the trumpet sounds, that declares Jubilee, and Jubilee is basically an economic reboot for the whole country. So liberty is declared, which means everybody gets to go free. If you're a servant, you get to go free. If you're in jail, you get to go free. Everybody is set free. Restoration of your family fortune. So you return to the land that belonged to your family. So if it had been sold for whatever reason or past hands, you go back to to the original intent. You go back um, and you return to your own family. And you don't sow, you don't reap what grows on its own, you let the land itself rest, okay? So this is what the what the year of Jubilee was. And um, it's a restoration of all that was lost. There is an implied responsibility that comes along with Jubilee, though, because in, <clears throat> when Jubilee is declared, you go free, but you have to set others free, too. So if you have servants, you have to let them go. If you, if there's somebody that's in jail, that somebody that owes you money, you have to release the debt. You have to forgive the debt. So you have to forget, forgive debts that are owed to you. You have to free your servants and your prisoners. You have to return property that you might have purchased along the way. Give it back. Okay. So it's not, it's, it's good news, but then on the flip side of it, it's like, but I like that property. <laughs> I want to keep it. But you can't. It's Jubilee. You have to release it and give it back to where it belongs, especially if, um, you know, if it's money or something that's owed to you that you think that you're due. It's hard to release that and let, the, let go. There's little evidence in the word or through history that Israel actually did this. You know, they were the law prescribed that they do it. But but we don't know whether or not they actually followed through with this 100 percent. 
Isaiah 61, which is what Jesus read, linked the idea of jubilee with the coming of coming Messiah. It says the anointed one will come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare all this freedom, to declare this. And in Luke 4, Jesus declared that he himself was both the jubilee and the Messiah that they were waiting for. So as his church and his ambassadors on the earth, we demonstrate the kingdom by extending God's forgiveness to others. We extend it by forgiving as we have been forgiven. We let people know that God has forgiven them, given them, and then we also freely forgive as we have been forgiven. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called in one body. And be thankful. Okay. So that's beautiful. That's ideal. This is where we're supposed to live. Paul said that we must forgive because we've been forgiven. Um, after Jesus was rec- resurrected, he empowered the disciples to also forgive by his spirit. In John 20, verse 21, it says, So, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord told us to pray, Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Recognize that there's no such thing as individual jubilee. So there's no such thing as Jesus setting Michelle free and not setting Dave free too. You know, if Michelle is free, we're all free. You know, we all get in on it. When there's a jubilee declared, it's not an individual thing. It's a it's a corporate global thing that he does. He has declared jubilee over us. So that means we receive the benefit of it, and we also have a responsibility to release that. So once Jubilee is declared, it is declared for everyone. You are not more forgiven than anybody else, okay? Luke 7, Jesus was having dinner with the uh, Simon the Pharisee, and a woman came in crying, and she began washing and anointing Jesus' feet. The Pharisee was offended because they said if Jesus knew what kind of man a woman this was, then he wouldn't be letting her touch him like that. And um, Jesus knew his thoughts because he always does. And in, in verse 40, Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who had been forgiven more. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. That's the most precious part of her of her body. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So she came in crying and appreciative because she knew that her sins were forgiven. She wasn't trying to get God to forgive her with all this weeping. She was overwhelmed with the kindness of the Lord, knowing that she had been forgiven. Okay, And so she came in and she was showing the love. And so this woman, she's forgiven. She can go into peace knowing that she is forgiven. The truth is that we've all been forgiven much. Okay, there's nobody who's been forgiven little. Um, the fruit of having been forgiving much is to love much. However, when we minimize our own forgiveness, it's easy to withhold forgiveness from others. So if we feel like, you know, God is holding back on us some kind of way, then then we're we're always going to be we're going to be more defensive of ourselves. You know, we're going to be more protective of ourselves. And when we feel offended, we're going to hold on to the offense rather than releasing it and letting it go. Our responsibility as people who have heard the Declaration of Jubilee is to release by announcing Jubilee to them. Release people by announcing Jubilee to them. And when we withhold forgiveness from others, it actually restricts our ability to live in the freedom of our own Jubilee. Okay? So... Um, in the same um, scripture that we looked at before in John 20, we're going to look at the message translation. It says, the disciples seeing the master with their own eyes were awestruck. And Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, received the Holy Spirit. He said, if you forgive, anyone, if you forgive someone's sin, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? There's nothing that, what happens in, in David Bentley Hart's version of the New Testament, it says, whosoever sins you let go, they're let go, and who's, those that are held fast are held fast. So you're holding onto them in your own body. It's not that God won't forgive them because you won't forgive them. You know, it's like, I have something against Marie, I'm not forgiving her, so God's withholding forgiveness from Marie too. That's not how it works. No. <laughs> no. Um, that's not how it works. But my my offense against her is actually holding me bound, you see. And so they're retained in my body. They're retained in my mind. They're retained in, and it shackles me down. This is Jesus has given us his peace and he gave us freedom to forgive as he has forgiven. Those sins of others that we would not that that you release are released, and those that you hold on tightly are held tightly, but not by God, it's held by you. You have been made, your, you've made yourself the judge, and you restrict your own freedom. And we're going to look at a parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 18. And um, we'll just start it. Matthew 18, and then we're reading from the Living Translation in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who has sinned against me? Seven times? Now, to give Peter a break, the Jewish rabbis used to say that if somebody, you can forgive somebody three times, and after that you can take vengeance. That was the rabbinic rules it wasn't in the torah that was the rabbinic rules so by peter saying seven times he thought he was doing pretty good 
And so in 22, Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> so, no. But um, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owned him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. So, you know, this is a New Living Translation. It's saying million dollars is actually the, the amount. It, um, it implies like two lifetimes worth of money. It was a huge amount of money that nobody would have been able to pay back. So the servant, he fell, fell down, verse 26, before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave him of all the debt. So the king was moved with compassion and forgave him. But when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servant who owed him a few dollars, a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded an instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he and he had the man arrested and put in prison until he could pay it in full. When some of the other servants saw, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called the man that he had forgiven and said to him, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. Ouch. Okay. So now, verse 26, we'll kind of look at this. Um, the, the debt owed to the king was an extreme amount of debt. The servant begged for patience, and instead he received mercy and forgiveness. So the king was able to separate the debt from the person. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't so fixated on the debt that he forgot about the person that he was dealing with. And he was, his heart was moved with compassion. It's the same word when Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed. So he, this king, he saw the man, he knew he had no way of paying him and he just had mercy and just canceled the entire debt. He set him free. He gave him jubilee. Okay. And the servant's debt was completely canceled, but his mindset was that he still owed the money. And if I could just get these other people who owe me money to pay me, then I'll be able to pay this, the king back. And so he had this debt mentality. He had this condemnation, this sin consciousness in his mind, and it kept him from being, being able to extend mercy to the other servant. Okay. So this is somebody who doesn't recognize how completely they've been forgiven. When the opportunity came to show mercy to his peer, he showed judgment instead. And the servant was imprisoned because of his unwillingness to forgive the debt and to show mercy to the servant. So unforgiveness binds you and keeps you from experiencing the liberty of Jubilee. Okay. So that, that's something it wasn't the king had put him in prison and said until you pay all the debt. I think it was the debt that the that the other guy owed him because he had already forgiven the first debt. You know what I mean? So it's that other debt that you won't let go of that's going to keep you bound. Ephesians four uh, verse twenty nine. We're going back. This is our cornerstone scripture, but we're going to go back up a couple verses. 
And starting in verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So that's the declaration of the gospel. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? We let go of bitterness. We let go of wrath. We let go of anger. We let go of clamoring and slander, which is harsh words, talking bad about people. We we let go of malice, our intention or our desire to do evil. As they give me five minutes, <laughs> that whole thing, you got to put that aside. That's not cute, and God doesn't like that. We need to instead take on kindness because that's who we really are. We we have the spirit of God on the inside of it, on the inside of us renewing us from the inside out. So the remedy is to be kind, be tender-hearted, forgive as God has forgiven us. Let that mercy that we have received bubble over into other people's lives. The writer of Hebrew and the writer of Hebrews warns against uh bitterness in his letter. In uh Hebrews 12:14 and 15 It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and, and by it become defiled. So, so when a root of bitterness springs up, it defiles everything around it. In the message translation, it says, Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. So that's it. Without holiness, no man can see God. And really, it reminds me of um, the verse in Jeremiah 17. If you trust in the Lord, you'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water and, and your leaf will remain green. If you If you're trusting in yourself, then you don't see when goodness comes. You You don't even... God will be right there in front of you and you won't be able to see him. And it's so it's not like he's hiding himself from you. It's your bitterness has blinded you to be able to see him. Make sure that no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You know well how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. But by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. So when we indulge our soul in staying angry because we feel we have a right to do that, we are satisfying a short-term appetite and we're missing out on enjoying our own inheritance. We can't, we can't enjoy it. Doesn't, it doesn't even taste good to us because because we have this thing that's like, well, they say if you put a penny right here, it's the biggest thing in the room. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever you have on the front right here, this root of bitterness that's like a plank in your eye that's keeping you from being able to see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, that has to be removed. You have to get that out of the way so that you can see clearly what God has provided and 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 the goodness of god in the land of the living we want to see his goodness 
the first person, oh, let me go back. You've heard the quote that says harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else will die. We've all heard that. Um, the first person that you're hurting is yourself. But the poison of bitterness will fester until it affects the ability for you to love other people. Um, and not only the one that has harmed you. So you end up trying to make others pay the debt that the others owe you. So, so let's say if I was hurt, you know, by a friend, I was betrayed by a friend, then I say to myself, I'm never going to let anybody get that close to me again. And you start putting up walls and then people, you're not able to enjoy other people's friendships and they're not able to enjoy what you have to offer. And you shut yourself down. Um, and, or you start making rules, making people come up to some standards, some false standards because of, of, of a broken heart that you have. And then you're making them pay a debt that somebody else owes you. Um, if you were betrayed by a friend, if your mother or father neglected you, you have a hard time showing love and compassion to your children. Um, you determine never to be vulnerable again. You make an inner vow and you become your own protector. And instead of letting God be your protector and your refuge, our life is hidden with Christ and God. So we have to let him strip us of all these things that we are holding on to. And so we need to begin to forgive by faith, right? So forgiveness brings the forgiver peace of mind from coercive anger. So there's an anger, there's a root of anger that's there that's making you want to hold on to it. And it'll just keep eating at you and eating at you and eating at you. And it's time to release those things. Experts, even secular experts who study and teach on forgiveness, make it clear that when you forgive, we don't, we're not glossing over what was done. And I, this was a key that I missed out for a long time because being a, a believer, you know, we all love each other. We forgive you. We forgive you. And it, it's just everything. It's not a big deal. It's no problem. It's no problem. And you don't take into account, you know what, that was a wrong that was done to me. And acknowledge that there is a debt, you know, in the parable in uh, Matthew 18, we have the parable of the king. He did an accounting of the books and he said, this was owed to me. This is something that's due to me. And sometimes, sometimes that happens where something really was done that was wrong. It, it really was wrong. And so when God tells you to forgive as I have forgiven you, it, he's not minimizing what happened to you. He understands your pain. He is, he's not a, um, a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our, our infirmities. He knows our pain. He walked on the earth like we did. He was betrayed. You know, he, he, he walked in our shoes. You know, he had no sin, but, but he had to live in the heaviness of being on the earth, okay, in the, in, w- w- among a bunch of fallen people. And so he was hurt. He was betrayed. He was talked about. Um, and, but he, and he said, I know how that feels. It's not insignificant that this was done to you. God saw it. He kept a record of it. And now he's saying, acknowledge the debt that was owed to you and acknowledge the fact that it can't be repaid. Even if somebody came and apologized, it doesn't always make you 100% whole. You like to, to, you like to hear that somebody acknowledges when they mess up and we want to be able to apologize and acknowledge when we mess up with people. But on the flip side of it, it's, that doesn't always do it 100%. You, you're not always brought back to restoration by that. 
understand that you can't be repaid for what's been done to you. And by faith, release it and cancel the debt. Declare jubilee. And you might need to do this a couple times by faith. Just because if the, if there is a root of anger that's there that wants to keep holding on to it, start it by faith and it becomes easier. Say that debt is canceled. You know, Satan, I'm not I'm not listening to the accuser of the brethren. I'm not accusing these people anymore in my mind. I said that they're free and they're free indeed. So you release them and ask Jesus to restore to you what needs to be repaid, and He will restore. And we're going to look at um, Isaiah 61 again. So this is the Jubilee announcement um, that Jesus read. And it declares, when you release people of their debts, you will be repaid by God and you will be restored better than you were before. So it starts in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, the the opening of the prison who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So instead of the sackcloth and ashes, you get a beautiful headdress. You are dressed with the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. So this is all about restoration. They shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So no matter how far your pain goes back, he will restore the all the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Dropping down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will, you shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion and have everlasting joy. Double portion, remember, that's the, the oldest son's portion. That's the firstborn's portion. That's the Lord's portion. And we get to share in his portion. Amen. Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So this is, this is God's justice. He said, I'll pay you. I hate robbery. You were robbed. I hate it. I'm going to, I'm going to give you recompense. I'm going to bring it back to you and I'm making an everlasting covenant with you about that. Okay. Um, Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. This is the, our response to that. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes what is sown to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So he makes an open display of his restoration for us. He makes all things new. To me, this looks like the new creation. This looks like all things are made new. Everything is fresh and new. Everything is restored. 
So we're going to close this thing out with uh, with communion. <laughs> this thing. We're going to close this this series with communion um, because I I just I felt like the Lord wanted to to just put a seal on on this what we learned. Um, so Jerry, you can start passing those out if that's okay. Um, and um, we wanted to let the Holy Spirit bear witness to us what was accomplished on our behalf. Um, the communion table is also where we can lay down our weakness and, and receive his strength. This is a place of exchange because it's a covenant meal. So uh, we can let go of our anger, our shame, our bitterness, and let God clothe us. He clothes us. We don't have to put on these things he clothes us with his garments of salvation and we can begin to see things from his perspective and be renewed in his love amen thank you sir all right everybody receives and if you have your elements at home you can go ahead and get those ready and we'll say a prayer Thank you. Oh, Father God, we come to this communion table grateful for all that you have done for us. We thank you for your kindness and for your mercy. We thank you for forgiving us and for healing our broken hearts. Right now, we lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us. We freely forgive as you have forgiven us. We hold no one in judgment for offenses against us. You said that whosoever sins we forgive are forgiven. So right now we release them from any burden of condemnation or retribution. We set them free because you have set us free and we declare that they are forgiven. And right now I'm asking you, if you have any debts that are owed to you, I want to encourage you to declare jubilee and freedom to those debtors right now. On the same night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread in his hands, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. It is for our healing. Thank you, Jesus, for your stripes, for the beatings that you bore, for the lashes that fell on your back, that by your stripes we are completely healed. We believe and we receive in Jesus' name. After they finished dinner, he took the cup, and in the same way, he said, This cup is the new covenant executed in my blood. Take this and drink, all of you. This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Keep doing this, and whenever you drink it, you and all who will come after me will have a vivid memory of who I am. Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant cut in your blood. Your blood has brought us forgiveness and washed us from every sin. Thank you that your blood has made us righteous. And as we drink, we celebrate and we partake of the inheritance of the righteous, which is 
preservation, healing, wholeness, and prosperity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the newness of life. We thank you for your precious blood, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we love because you first loved us. We thank you for your love and for your care for us. We thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We thank you that our sins are forgiven. Our conscience is cleared. Our shame has been washed away. We have been restored as to be real humans, humans that can again partner with you, discovering and developing this creation, and so that the knowledge of your glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. We thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness toward us. Thank you for continuing to unveil your love to us, morning, noon, and night. Speak to us in visions and dreams. And I thank you for opening your word to us in new ways, Lord God that we can see your kindness. Show us opportunity to share your kindness with others. And as we do, we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.